Chad Johnson was hired by FAMU as their athletic ambassador and consultant, a job he was literally made for. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, of course, Sam Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day. And remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter. At South Exclusives, y'all see it at the bottom of the screen. Or if you're on the audio side of things, don't forget the S on the end. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more when you visit the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On, or excuse me, at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. In day two of the MEAC and SWAC tournament, have a bunch of games on paper that look like they're going to be really good. But you can't get to day two before getting through day one. And you can't get through day one, at least not on this show, without hearing Darian Gray, the mouth of the South, say, I told you so. You can't get through that without hearing me say, I told you so. Before any of that, though, Chad Johnson, fam, you, athletic ambassador and consultant, this is literally a match made in heaven. And it almost feels a little too cliche to say because I said something similar about Terry Sims in Alabama State. And I do think that's a perfect position. But Chad Johnson, Chad Ocho Cinco, Ocho, whatever you want to call him, was perfectly made for this position. And if you know him by any of those names, then I think you would agree. And this isn't some publicity stunt this isn't some I'm going to attach myself to FAMU and HBCU and and try to none of that matter of fact I think that Chad Johnson is the perfect guy that HBCU fans should love FAMU should love for multiple reasons now let me first give his qualifications Chad Johnson as I call him Chad Johnson is arguably the best showman in the NFL of my childhood Right. And maybe I'm dating myself, but y'all know how young I am. So it's whatever. Chad Johnson in his riverboat dance, his pom poms, his proposals, his Hall of Fame jacket, his just ability to market on an incredible level. And despite anything going on in the NFL, the no fun league, the not for long, despite all the restrictions they tried to place upon him, there was no point in which Chad did not make the game fun, when which he did not market to the fans. See, if you're talking about resumes, I would just go put on a highlight tape. If I, if I was you, I would look up Chad Johnson's funniest moments. I've never done it. I'll be honest with you. I've never done it. It might not even be a video that exists. It should be, though, because Chad Johnson is hilarious. He has all of these celebrations that kind of translate from the field into his new business field, which is being an ambassador. He's been marketing for years. One of the he loves gaming. Right. He does FIFA, all of those things. I don't look, I'm not a big gamer. So excuse me if does FIFA is not the proper way to say that. 
but he's been marketing for years. The only thing that's about to be different is that he's now going to be doing it for Florida A&M. And he was raised with HBCU roots. He actually went to an HBCU for a year before, you know, having to leave. But he uh, went to an HBCU for a year. But he also was raised in Florida with Bethune-Cookman family. But he always gravitate, gravitated towards the green and orange. He always gravitated towards FAMU. For what reason, I don't know. But he did. He even said that he wanted to complete his degree at FAMU and go be a drum major. This is real love. Now, excuse me for saying the D word. I, I know that people don't like to hear it and I don't really like to talk about it or say it. But in a way, Chad Johnson is going to provide all of the things that were positive about Deion Sanders and, all, and none of the things that were negative. When I look at Chad Johnson, I truly believe he can be all of the things that were positive about Prime and none of the things that were negative. He's not going to come in with this savior narrative that either he or the supporters of him will spin. That's not going to happen. He won't have any pressure to succeed as a head coach. I don't even really know what success looks like for Chad Johnson. I don't know what success or failure. What's the bar for that? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. He's not going to be coming in with, with any idea of changing a culture. None of that. He's coming in to be an ambassador. He's coming in to bring more eyes. Deion Sanders did bring more eyes. There was some of the, you know, how he left and whatnot, but there's no idea that it's fake love either. That might be the most important thing. There's no, there should be no idea that there's fake love in Chad Johnson coming to FAMU. See, what a lot of people don't like about celebrity coaches, and despite he's not a coach, he's still on that same celebrity wavelength, is that they feel like they don't have any familiarity, any understanding, any love for the culture. He might not have the greatest familiarity for your standards. I don't know. He might not have the most in-depth knowledge, but I do know, I can tell you from the outside looking in, it looks like he has great love and admiration for the culture of FAMU, even if he wasn't going to be here. So let's not put him in a category as if he's a random. Honestly, Chad Johnson, fam, you in this position right here as a ambassador, as a consultant, likely with marketing. Now that it's happening, kind of feels like a no brainer. There have been connections here. He spoke about how he tries to support fam, you in different kind of ways, whether it's just wearing their colors or or, or just bragging about them and talking about them. I've heard him talk about this for a minute. I've heard him talk about fam, you for a while. So. I don't want to make it seem like he's a random because that's just not applicable. When Chad Johnson was up there putting on Hall of Fame jackets, when he was up there celebrating in the end zone, doing river dances, when he changed his name to Chad Ochocinco, he was marketing for himself. He was a marketing genius, a marketing genius. The fact that he changed his name to Chad Ochocinco because his number on his jersey was 85. And I don't remember a single person other than me at the time because I guess I was naive and just didn't understand the marketing ploy behind it. No one said, hey, man, that's not 85. That's eight and five. That's 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 not the same thing. Matter of fact, to this day, some people don't even realize he changed his name back to Chad Johnson. But he did that as a marketing ploy. He did that as a kind of a middle finger to the NFL, but then also to tap in with a new community, he tapped in with the Hispanic community because he felt like he had a big following there. That's the type of mind that belongs as an ambassador, that belongs as a consultant. He's not making decisions. He just has a voice. And his voice is one that I think has opinions that deserve to be heard and could really be beneficial. I love this matching. I do. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he's Chad Johnson, the former NFL player. It's the fact that he's, that he's Chad Johnson. And I know what he represents and I know what he's good at. I love this. And if you think I'm passionate now, just wait as we continue. Because I told you. 
<laughs> I told you, Texas Southern just knocked off Alcorn State. And if you thought I was biased for saying that the Braves needed to be on upset alert, I won't demand an apology. I forgive you as we continue with Locked on HBCU. Before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. And FanDuel is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. If we're talking about the NCAA tournament, if we're talking about the Swipe Meak tournament, I'm sure they have the odds up there. If we're talking about the NFL futures or maybe who's going to be the first overall pick, is it going to be Jalen Carter? Maybe not after this. Does Chicago trade their pick and now it's Bryce Young, maybe CJ Stroud? I've heard a little bit of noise about Anthony Richardson. Go check out Locked On Gators. Brandon Olson, great host, host and a friend of the show. So who's it going to be? And then just the NBA playoffs. Everything is covered on FanDuel, and that's what I appreciate about them. But what I appreciate the most is that even if you mess up on your first bet and you're a new user, they have the first bet, no sweat. They give you $1,000 in free bets. $1,000 if you lose. Where they do that at? The only place I know is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more. And as we continue rolling with today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. For your second listen, make sure you're checking out Locked on College Basketball for everything you need around this beautiful sport in one place in 30 minutes or less. Whether you're watching or listening, it's wherever you get your podcasts. Check them out now. And guess what? I told you so. (laughs) I told you so, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. It feels good to finally get one of these off. And I understand, I truthfully understand that when I told you that Alcorn was on upset alert, I took down my my banner, my flag for a reason. I took it down because I didn't want there to be any kind of feeling that I was being biased. But you know what? If taking down the flag wasn't enough, I looked you dead in the eye and I told you, I always acknowledge my bias when it arises. This is not me being biased. I told you that on yesterday's episode when previewing this game and told you Texas Southern can knock off Alcorn. But I understand. I truly do. I understand if you watched that episode and you said, you know what? When you say that Texas Southern has experience winning in the tournament, you're relying a little bit too much on the past. When I told you that I'm not being biased, you probably said, yes, you are. It's it's no no shame about it, but you are being biased. When I told you that Texas Southern had good players and has played Alcorn close, you probably said to yourself, they played them close, but they never won. Alcorn is just a better team at the end of the day. And if you said any of those things, I forgive you. I forgive you. It's okay. I'm not here. Listen, I'm not here to predict that Texas Southern does anything. I'm just saying that Texas Southern was not dead in the water. I'm here to say that Texas Southern was a quality team. They just so happened to be the number eight seed. I'm just here to give myself a pat on the back. That's all I'm here for. Because the truth of the matter is the SWAC tournament began and it ended day one with an upset. I don't want to say of epic proportions because now I feel like I'm gassing it. But these were big time upsets. It started off with University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff knocking off Alabama A&M on the women's side. That's two versus seven. And it ended with a really physical, a really good game between Texas Southern and Alcorn in which the Tigers knocked out Alcorn State from the tournament for the second year in a row. Last time it was the championship, this time it's the first round. I'm sure that the Braves are having a little bit of a deja vu, a little bit of a nightmare when thinking about, thinking about facing the Tigers in the tournament. Now, there was a crucial decision that I feel like really led 
to this victory. And it was about halfway through the second half. John uh, John Walker III had already set out pretty much the whole first half because he had two fouls. He gets a third foul. And it's like, okay, are you going to take him out? Are you going to play it safe? Because if you get to four, now it's like you only have one. There's no more room for error. And let alone him get a fourth foul with 10 minutes left, he's probably sitting until two minutes left in the game. Because Jordan Carl Nicholas, he got his fourth foul with, I think, about eight to seven minutes left in the game. He didn't come back until the very end. I think there's two reasons that he decided to, or that Coach Jones decided to keep both Walker and Nicholas in. One, because they kept it close without them in the game in the first half. So he had the trust that if you had to go to that second unit, I know that we can stay in the game. It's not like if these two guys don't get in or don't don't play, we're just going to be done for. That was not the case. He knew that. So I think he took the gamble feeling like he had a nice little you know cushion to fall back on. He didn't need to do it because Jordan Carl Nicholas didn't get another foul the rest of the game. And right after he got his third foul, he scored seven points in a row for the Tigers. He had an assist to Jordan Carl Nicholas, a beautiful pass and finish by those two to two big men the next play. So that's nine points that he was responsible for in a row after getting his third foul. And because of that run, it was a big part of Texas Southern getting to 14 point, getting to a 14 point lead. That was a big part of that. And that was a lead that never completely dissipated. And yes, I know that Alcorn was able to chip away at it, but it never got tied. It never got tied and it never got to where Alcorn took over the lead. This was a big time game, a big time performance by John Walker. Phenomenal. I thought it showed a lot of resilience and I thought it showed a lot of guts on behalf of Johnny Jones. I'm just I'm just happy that we got it done. I'm just happy because I could come here. I don't think I've ever been able to get an I told you so moment. And I might never do it again. But to tell the truth, in this moment right now, the ability to say I told you so, especially in a game like this, in a, in a tournament, single elimination, I'd be lying to you if I told you it didn't feel good. But it don't feel as good as it did for those players or for the UAPB Golden Lions women's basketball team because they knocked off Alabama A&M kind of going into their house and doing it. They kind of went into Alabama A&M's house because the tournament is in Alabama. So it wasn't, you know, directly in Huntsville, but it was close enough. Close enough to say we went in your house, right? And this is the third time that these two teams have faced off. And I can't say third time the charm because UAPB won the second time and then they won the third time. It's just a situation in which they figured something out. Don't know what it is. It was kind of different. You look at the box scores and there was something different in each game, but they figured something out. In this particular game, Alabama A&M just was unable to handle the offensive onslaught that UAPB brought upon them because it was so many players. They had four players in double digits. And they were able to do it from second chance shots and really good three-point shooting. That's what they did better than Alabama A&M. It wasn't points in the paint. wasn't anything like that. It was just they had second chance shots. They got almost the same amount of rebounds, but more second chance points for UAPB. They had, I think, either four or five more made threes than Alabama A&M. That was a big part of the difference. You know, you win that game by less than 15. That is a big difference in the game. But the most momentum-shifting moments were at the end of each half, the last quarter. I'll say the second and fourth quarter, so the quarters before the half. In those quarters, UAPB scored 24 in the, in the second, 23rd, or 23 in the fourth. They scored 11 and three in the first and the third. Three points in the third quarter. Maybe they were saving everything up for the fourth because they knew they had that onslaught. It's kind of like the, the UFC fight, the uh, third match between Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman. Some people feel like Leon Edwards in that 
second to last round was kind of charging up, saving his energy, knowing he had that one last kick coming. Some people say that. I don't know if I prescribe to it, but it's a great analogy for what happened here. It seemed like UAPB hibernated through the third quarter, only made one bucket, not a free throw, just one three-pointer. And then in the fourth quarter, when they needed it all to win, they dropped 23 points. In the second and fourth quarter combined, they outscored Alabama A&M 47 to 26. And that's the reason they were able to win this game. They had more second chance points. They were able to actually convert more of their offensive rebounds into second chance points because they got about an equal amount of rebounds, just a nice difference in points. They were able to shoot better from three point. And when the game was on the line, whether that was closing out the first half or closing out the second half slash closing out the game, they dropped 20 points in that quarter. And that's the reason you had your first upset of the day. They didn't waste any time. The SWAC tournament started off with an upset with UAPB, the number seven seed coming up victorious, and it ended with a <laughs> and it ended with an upset with Texas Southern, the number eight seed, knocking off the number one. And this here moment right here is gonna end with an I told you so as we continue with Locked on HBCU. And coming up, we're gonna be talking about the day two action. That's how day one ended. But day two has some really good action on the horizon. Don't miss out for it because I have three games out of the four on the men's basketball side that I think are must-watch TV. That's wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU. Shout out to the tribe making us your first listen of the day every day and then also making it all the way to segment three. Y'all know that I appreciate that. So thank you two times. And day one of Swack and Act tournament action, pretty good. Pretty good. There might have been some games in there that you didn't think were going to be as competitive. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure that people thought Jackson State was going to steamroll Grambling on the women's basketball side. Not exactly how it happened. But day two is the game or the day with the games that you're looking there and you're saying, you know what? I think we're going to have some really good action today. And I agree. There's three games that I'm looking forward to. And that's out of the four on the men's basketball side where I'm like, you know what? I got to make sure I watch this. I think that day two of opening round this year is must-see TV because in day one, you had one and eight, two and seven on both sides. Theoretically, right, we've seen upset, but theoretically, that's supposed to be the, the easy games. That's supposed to be the games that if the, if the upper seed loses, you're like, oh, my gosh. Little less is the case when you're talking about four versus five and three versus six. You can be surprised at three versus six or six defeating three, I should say. But you're not really, oh, my gosh, what the heck happened? Didn't see that. That's, that's really not typically the case unless you're just talking about a team by team basis. But four versus five is that sweet spot where you feel like these seeds are so evenly matched, when you feel like these teams are right there neck and neck. And that's why I have Maryland Eastern Shore versus Morgan State as my game to watch over anything else coming into the week oh, I almost said weekend that sounded weird but coming into the tournament I'll say this was the opening round game that I was looking forward to the most outside of course my own alma mater I'll say that but this was the game I was looking forward to because this is the only game of any opening round matchup of either tournament that guaranteed a contender would be dropped from contention see one loses to, to eight 
Yeah, a contender lost, but there's no guarantee that happens. In this, especially in the MEAC where there's five teams who I think are really competing for that championship, we now know that one has to go. Maryland, Eastern Shore, and Morgan State are top five teams in the conference. And I know that's a no-duh moment because they're four and five, but I just explained why that is so critical. If either one of those teams were to win, I wouldn't be surprised, but one of them has to lose tomorrow or today, I guess, at this point. I'm recording it last night at I'm recording it Wednesday night. You'll be hearing it Thursday morning. Sometimes I get my days mixed up. Move with me. I'll try to clarify anytime I slip up like that. But this game just means so much for that reason because it knocks off a competitor. And it's more than the typical four through five. The compact nature of the top or the, the loaded nature of the top of the MEAC makes this so much more interesting. I am really enticed by how this game is going to end up and what's the ramifications from it because who knows? We're talking about matchups and all of those things go into play when we talk about who wins this game. So this is a big-time deal. The next matchup you move into the SWAC is also a four versus five, and it's Southern versus Alabama A&M. And excuse me, Alabama A&M, y'all have had the upper hand on Southern this year. But I am going to kind of kick back and I'm going to talk about the Jaguars for a second. Let's call this the Battle of Mo Carter, right? Alma mater versus professional. Which one is he going to side with? I bet you he sides with the winner. I guarantee you that. If this Southern wins, Mo Carter's going to be, man, I was I'm Southern. I'm, I'm an alma mater. But if Alabama A&M wins, he's like, well, you know, I work in Huntsville. I know the game. I can know the game, Mo. All right? But neither here nor there. Southern is looking to get the mojo. They need it because they've lost or excuse me, they haven't won back-to-back -back games but one time since the beginning of February. They lost to Alabama A&M twice this year. This is a team that was so high. They were on top of the swag. They were supposed to be top dogs, and even when they lost the game, they weren't supposed to fall down like this. They were supposed to be battling right there with Alcorn, and they were supposed to be battling right there with Grambling. But instead, they ended up losing multiple games in a row, not being able to string together three victories in a row in the last month and a half, month and a half of action. That's what we're dealing with at this point. See, you went from being a top dog to an underdog. I wouldn't call you a Cinderella team. Not, not, not that far. You're just the number four seed. But you've been counted out by so many and you can never say that they didn't deserve to do so. You know, my guy, John, he, he John Walton, he came on Twitter. He was like, this is what happens when Southern plays how they're supposed to. I believe I think that was the quote. And he's right. They're a good team when they play how they're supposed to. See, I'm old enough to remember Breon Whitley going off against Grambling. I'm old enough to remember Southern knocking off Alcorn. These are your one and two seed in the tournament right now. Don't tell me that Southern doesn't have talent. Don't tell me that Southern doesn't have capability. Don't tell me that Southern doesn't have a possibility to win it all. It's just about getting that mojo back. Now, you know one team that didn't have a problem with that? Jackson State. And that brings me to my last matchup, Jackson State versus Prairie View. PV's defense could give Jackson State some issues. They have one of the better defenses in the conference. So I could see that being the case. But Jackson State is rolling. They won four, four in a row, seven of their last eight. The only team they lost in that eight-game uh, eight stretch was the Alcorn, the number one seed. Like, this has been a really quality team. After a little bit of a stumble, they recovered. I kind of see Southern and Jackson State as very similar teams who had very drastically different 
endings, right? Because both started off really good. Both had a stumble. Now, how they responded to the stumble was completely different. Southern just continued to stumble and never really got their footing. Meanwhile, you see Jackson State, they got their footing and they began to, ran, to run again. They began to keep going. So we'll see if they can continue this momentum and make it five in a row, six in a row, seven in a row. We'll see. But this is Mo Williams' first year here. And he's starting off or his ending's pretty hot right now. We'll see if he's able to end pretty hot at the end of the season. But I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every single day. Y'all know I appreciate that. Now, for your second listen, go ahead and check out Locked On College Basketball. It's everything you need around the sport in one place. Come back tomorrow. Please make us your first listen again. I really do appreciate talking to you because we're going to be recapping day two. This day that I just hyped up, I think it's going to have some really big time games some some really big time outcomes that we can discuss on Friday's episode of Locked on HBCU. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care, stay blessed. Peace.